Football Friday is presented by Stonehaven Dental. At, Sto- at Stonehaven Dental, they say yes. Yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible appointments. Say yes to great dental care. Visit StonehavenDental.com to schedule an appointment. Got a lot of people commenting on our social media about the Utes. No Power 5 opponent in the non-con. Why doesn't Utah play a tougher non-conference schedule? Well, the history, PK, is they moved into the Pac-12 and were worried that schedule was going to overwhelm them, so they made sure that they were, worst-case scenario, going to go 2-1 and one in the non-conference and probably go 3-0. and oh. And as it turned out, they've only lost one non-conference game so far. And the only Power 5 team they've played so far, they had a home-and-home with Michigan, and they won those two games. But we are at the precipice. Oh, you want to get into the question here? You're on the verge. What? You're on the verge. Oh, 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 the question. Yeah. It's the question. Yes. The question. <laughs> You're on the verge, the precipice the... of everything changing. And That's if you good. ask why it didn't change earlier, I think it would be two reasons. One, they weren't sure how much they were going to, uh, how quickly they were going to improve. And so they wanted to be cautious and not overschedule. And uh, two, you make these schedules, well, four to seven to ten years out, depending on which deal you're cutting. So yeah. it made it a little harder to, uh, to make the move when they wanted to. Now, clearly, they've signed five contracts with five schools. They now feel like they're in a different place. And I would say the other thing is, I think they feel the pressure, and I think everybody in the Pac-12 should, they feel the pressure of, you got to provide more value to the TV deal. The TV deal isn't good enough. Every conference is looking at their big dogs thinking, are you going to do to us what Oklahoma and Texas did to the Big 12? Doesn't matter what conference you're in, every conference has to be thinking that. Maybe not the ACC, because they're all locked up airtight for so long. Um, but you can see why someone in the Pac-12 would be thinking it. And when you play Florida, you provide a different level of value to the conference and the TV deal. And they got Florida starting next year home and home. And they've got home and home deals with Baylor and with Arkansas and with Wisconsin and with LSU. Nine of the next 12 years, they've got an intersectional game with a Power 5 team. And they've, one of the three years they don't is 2025. And Mark Harlan has come out and said, we've got a spot in the schedule. And this alliance deal, I expect that they're going to end up playing a, a Big Ten or an ACC school in there. There'll be some made-for-TV deal in 2025. So that'll make it 10 out of 12 years. And he's also suggested there could be teams, you know, deals also break down. They get pushed into the future or they don't get played. Uh, BYU's certainly gone through that with Notre Dame, right? Something changes for another school and they're like, yeah, well, hold on. And now BYU's been holding on for years. So 2027, that Wyoming-Houston-BYU trifecta, maybe something moves there and they put a big-time game in. We'll have to see. I appreciate Mark Harlan upgrading the schedule. I think it's desperately needed. My only criticism is that not just one, if you don't play BYU, then you need to have two, not just one, two. Because BYU emotionally is a big game. And so if you play Florida, that's two. I think they need to have two. SC always has two. Right. So next year, they've got Florida, but they've got Southern Utah and San Diego State. So that's still below grade level there. It is uh, to me. In two My years, opinion. they're playing Florida and Baylor and Weber State. Okay, that's good enough. 
Yes. And then BYU comes back on the schedule, so it'll be BYU and Baylor. So Yes. Yeah. And, and BYU, now they're, they, they're taking a break for two years, but then they're signed to play, uh, I don't even know how many more games, five, six games uh, after that. So. See, I would say play BYU and then pretty much any Power Five, as long as it's not Kansas or a team like Kansas. So don't give me the lowest of the low of Power Five. The predictably lowest of the low. Because we went into this earlier this morning. Baylor, who they've got, and BYU's got Baylor this year, and Utah has Baylor coming up in two and three years. So we're going to be seeing a lot of Baylor around here. Uh, Baylor in the last six years has had two seasons that were great, 10 and 11 wins, two seasons that were mediocre, they went 7 and 6, and two seasons that sucked where they had one win and two wins. So you don't know what you're getting with Baylor. They are all over the map in a way few schools are. Yeah, but I'm okay with it because it's a Texas school and it builds up your recruiting in the hotbed of Texas. The fact that they've scheduled a team in Texas, a team in Florida, and LSU, Louisiana isn't Texas, Florida, California because there aren't as many people, but it's in the next tier, Pennsylvania, Ohio, North Carolina. Well, I don't Carolina. care, it's, it's LSU. We could be yeah. on the moon, it's LSU. Yeah. It's a big, it's a brand name. That's way down the road, that's still 10 years away. But they signed him, so. I'll be dead anyway, so it won't matter. <laughs> it's but, better uh, that you'll be dead. I do. Uh, It'll matter to the Ute fans. There's, there's 30-year-old Ute fans who are going, that's it. That they're playing LSU. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, possibly you'll be dead. You entertain a lot of people. Uh, yeah. I'll be dead, and I'll come back, and I'll tell you. See, I told you I was dead in 10 years. Uh, so I just think that it, this program needs – it's done – so much to elevate itself and it, it needs to be thought of as a big time program and also too what i'm tired of that oh yeah they don't get any respect out there i'm tired of the disrespect by telling us that they don't get any respect and they're an underdog and all this stuff no that's over with that's not the case. The two things that bug me about Brown here is the jazz. Oh, black guys don't want to come play here. Bull crap. That's not true. It's 100% false. And also, Utah, oh, they're the gritty little team out there. No, they're not. They're not the gritty little team anymore. They're a high-powered football program that has a pipeline to the NFL and need to be treated as such. So when you think you're respecting them by saying that, in my mind, you're disrespecting by, them by saying that. They're this gutty, underdog, little overachiever. No, no, I'm done with that. Those two premises, to go with your one thing that you do with the uh, that ad that you do, this is, uh, I'm Sleep done with solutions. it. Sleep solutions. Yeah. yeah, I'm done with it, man. The premise is, is, no, it's over. Black guys are more than willing to come to Utah, and the Utes are not this gutty, under- or overachieving team. No, that's not the case anymore. Forget it. I don't want those two narratives to be said anymore. And <laughs> The narrative. And I've had it every time I hear it, and if I hear it again, I'll have it again. I'm sick of it. It's not true. Stop it. 
Last four years, Utes have had 21 players drafted, more than five per year. And under the theory that you don't just have a good year and get drafted, you probably have a couple good years and get drafted, that means you don't have five NFL-caliber players on your team. you got ten difference makers out on the field. That is a huge upgrade from what they had when they first joined. From 2011 to 2016, they had uh, 13 guys drafted in six years. So they went from two draftees to five, which means really four impact guys to ten impact guys. So there's a huge step up. That's where you can uh, draw the line and say, and you're no longer the gritty the gritty underachiever. And I really think... Yeah, excuse me, the gritty overachiever. Yeah, the gritty underachiever. <laughs> That's an oxymoron. Gritty That's underachiever. <laughs> okay. Hey, they play really hard, but when the chips are down, they blow it. <laughs> that, that's me, man. I'm the gritty, gritty underachiever. Gritty underachiever. <laughs> but I really think the benefit, the hidden benefit to this alliance thing that I think we're already all sick of hearing about, it just sounds goofy. But for a league where we've constantly praised the depth that other leagues don't have, that means once you get past the top team or two, teams three, four, five, six, seven, if they're matched up against Big Ten teams, I think you do well. I always thought the Mountain West teams in the Mountain West era when Utah and BYU were in that league, whether it was Utah and BYU or it was somebody else, they won some of those games and they were always in them with Big Ten schools, even though they had to play them on the road. You know, mediocre Mountain West teams were hanging with the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten has lacked speed. I think Ohio State has fixed that, and that's why they Before. dominate the league. Before it did. Right. It changed it. Ohio State, I think, changed the equation big time. They have speed, and now there were, there were teams that went back to Ohio State that were mediocre in the Mountain West that could compete. And now Ohio State will run you off the field because they have that speed. And they have the quarterbacks. And they have the quarterbacks, right? But I think once you get past them, can the Pac-12, can the top half of the Pac-12 hang with the top half of the Big Ten? I think they'll do well. Well, we'll find out next week, Oregon at Ohio State. Well, that one, no, because I think Ohio State's that awesome. And if Oregon wins, that'll be an awesome win. I, I don't think there's anything about Ohio State that should give people a lot of confidence. But I think if you're playing Michigan and Michigan State and you're playing Penn State and Wisconsin and, I don't know, Iowa, whoever else you think is, is pretty good but not great in that league, I think the Pac-12 will do Indiana's fine. Indiana's come on a little bit. Indiana has come on. Well, yeah, the Utes got Michigan twice, and they beat them twice. So I think there's, there's more. In the Mountain West era, they split two games with Michigan, and they were, they were both on the road. Well, so. unless, unless Utah is beating Ohio State, Clemson, and Alabama, I'm not surprised by any win they have. Right, but I think the rest of the country might be. The rest of the country might be right, surprised Right, because they don't the view Pac- them the way they should. Right. That's my very point, and the I'm whole, sick of it. The whole Pac-12. You know, let's see what uh, Arizona State and uh, Washington or Stanford or Cal or UCLA, whoever, see what they do when they're not playing the elite. We know... Uh, you know, UCLA against Oklahoma, that, that was a huge mismatch. And UCLA, hopefully, theoretically, will be getting to a place where they're not losing to Mountain West schools because Chip Kelly's done that a couple of times, too. All right, DJ and PK, Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host, 1290 AM in Tucson to give us the lowdown on Saturday night's game. He will join us next. And tomorrow at 8.35 in the morning, DJ and PK will be giving away tickets to see Utah and Weber State. So make sure you're here tomorrow morning, 835, for your chance to win tickets to see Utah and Weber State. Right here on the Zone Sports Network. It's game week for the Cougars. 
moves when I break it down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, we are joined now by Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Mike, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you all doing? We are doing well. We're looking forward to the start of college football. And I'm curious, are Arizona fans looking forward to the start of it? Or are they got one eye open and one eye closed? Because this is going to be a bit of a project and there's a long losing streak. And it may be a while before it gets better. What are they thinking? Um, it's a, Well, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's a little bit of both. Because you've got to remember, Arizona football right now is in the midst of a 12-game losing streak. So, and last game was, well, 70-7 to against a fairly pedestrian ASU team. But the good news is Jed Fish has come in and when he was initially announced as the head coach, a lot of people were like, huh? But he's come in, he's recruited incredibly well, and he's done everything right. You know, he's been available for the fans, he's been available for the media, and, you know, right now he's looking like he might be able to bring in a top 25 class, which let's, uh, you know, let's be honest, in Arizona, that's a big deal. I look at the job that Jed Fish has to do, and I compare it to what Bronco Mendenhall had to do at BYU in Great comparison. 2004-05. They had three consecutive losing seasons. The program was a mess. And just his ability to get everybody together and unify the team and focus it on the task at hand led to six wins. It's in the Mountain West, so it's probably easier than what uh, Arizona has to do in the Pac-12, particularly in the Pac-12 South. With that in mind, how much do you think just the fact that Jed Fish can come in with all this enthusiasm, and I grew up in Arizona, went to ASU, so I've followed the U of A, and I've heard all these things you've been saying. How much do you think that can translate? Maybe you know, not big-time success this year, but maybe more success, success than originally anticipated. Uh, yes, I think, that's a, I think that's a great point. And the, the comparison to Menton Hall I think is a fascinating one because, as you guys know, BYU is kind of a program right now that I think Arizona fans should be should, should look to uh, should look to emulate because you look at it and what's the first thing at least from you know my perspective I look at BYU and I think of stability and I think of basically a solid program and that's essentially what Arizona has not been for the last twenty plus years and so yes the, oh, Jet Fish comes in here and it's going to take a little while. But at least everybody is on the same page, which is a huge difference from in the past, you know, with Kevin Sumlin, where it didn't really look like anybody was on the same page. Everybody was kind of just going in different ways. There's all these, you know, questions about what's going on off the field. So, yes, the program continuity and stability 
looks to be headed certainly in the right direction. The problem, though, fellas, is there's just not much talent on this roster, if we're being honest. So when you see a 12-and-a-half point spread, uh, do you think that's about right? Oh, I think, I think BYU covers that. I would imagine when, I, when it first came out at 11-and-a-half, it felt a little low to me. I would guess, and this is just a guess, I would guess that that point spread probably hits around 14 by the time kickoff hits. Um, I know that there's obviously been money that's gone in on BYU. Here's the problem, and I know you guys are breaking in a new quarterback, but just looking across, you know, just looking at at your guys' offensive line, looking at some of the skill position players, you're just a lot bigger than Arizona. And, you know, newsflash, you know, BYU, you're probably going to have some older guys on the team. And, you know, it's great to come out and have this ability to be able to throw some younger guys out, out there and, you know, you've got an energetic coaching staff. And I think this game could be close for a little while. But I think, honestly, I think with the way that BYU's got this going, this is going to be a problem for Arizona. And that's as much of a indictment against Arizona as it is a pro, you know, BYU remark. So Fish says he's going to go with the two quarterbacks. How's it going to play out, though? When's the second one coming in? Um, you know, this is an, it's an interesting question because Jed Fish also said that there has been separation between the two quarterbacks. And my opinion is, is that Gunnar Cruz, who is the starting quarterback, obviously is the one that has probably shown some separation in practice because <laughs> I, don't know a lot of, I don't know a lot of head coaches that are going to say, you know what, um, our backup's shown a lot of separation in practice. We're going to go with the other guy. So... I think Gunnar Cruz, honestly, is going to get his opportunity. And like Jed Fish said, he's, um, he said, you know, listen, we're going to go with two quarterbacks, but if, you know, one, guy is, one guy's got the hot hand, I'm going to keep him going. And I'm, I think that that's probably what they want. Here's the, here's, the thing that, here's the thing that's interesting, though, is that Will Plummer, who's the backup, has a lot more physical ability, bigger arm, can move around really, really good. What, um, but the problem is, He's an interception machine. He was that way in high school. He's been like that in spring practice. Uh, Cruz is far more, uh, I would say, far more reliable. But the problem, and I think I think you guys will see this come game time, is that he holds on to the ball way too long. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, in practice and scrimmage since most of it's been open, that he would just be running around and you know there's six seven seconds and then he just chucks it he's got a he doesn't he's not great at reading the field and i think that's going to be an issue for him especially come opening night mike luke joining us arizona wildcats pre and post game host you you print you 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 have a pretty bleak picture here for the wildcats where would they have an offense defense special teams run pass where might they have an advantage against byu Okay, so there are a couple good things. I'm glad, glad, you, glad you brought that up. I think the running game is going to be fairly decent. they got a kid named Michael Wiley who has been on, is on the Doak Walker watch list. He's kind of the proverbial running back that he, you know, he'll get four to five carries a game and he gets 32 yards. So you look at it and you're like, wow, his yards per carry is you know, six or seven. He's a kid that I, and he's really bulked up this offseason season. He's a guy that I think has a chance to go for 1,000 yards. He's quite good. Now, and defensively, I think if Arizona's going to surprise some people, 
Oh, and by the way, for all your uh, uh, listeners out there, I think Arizona does is better than the two and a half wins. I think they get three. Totally off topic, but when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, there's one guy that yeah, I think is going to be a monster for Arizona, and his name's Jalen Harris. He's a six-six, two hundred forty-pound junior. Don Brown, who's the new defensive coordinator, who was Michigan coordinator for five years, obviously has been around some talent, has compared him to a lot of guys that he worked with that went on to play in the NFL, guys like Chase Winovich, players like that. And I would he's the one that I would tell BYU fans to certainly keep an eye on because Don Brown, without saying it, I think is expecting him to have around a 10 or 11 sack season. And I think the defense, as long as they don't get totally worn down, I think that they can cobble together maybe a fairly decent unit. Uh, as I understand it, in researching, I think they like their cornerbacks too. So I'm interested to see what the cornerbacks can do against BYU, which has deep and I think has a good level of receivers. Yes, the cornerback the cornerbacks are interesting because you've got two kids. You got a guy in Christian Roland Wallace who is the only corner on the team, or excuse me, the only player on the team that has a, had a legitimate USC offer out of high school. Um, Arizona generally doesn't get those kind of guys. And so he's going to be lined up on one side. And then on the other side, you're probably going to have Isaiah Rutherford, a Notre Dame transfer who is an ex-four-star kid out of California. And they're both fairly tall guys. I mean, you know, Isaiah Rutherford's about 6'1". Roland Wallace is probably around 5'11", 6'0", but he's a bulky, you know, 195, 200-pound guy. So, yes, they haven't shown a ton in games because, obviously, you know, they haven't played a ton. But I would imagine if Arizona's going to surprise some people, those are the duo right there that are going to have to be good, and they're going to be able to have to – not really be on an island because they're not those type of players, but they're going to have to both be above average Pac-12 caliber players for Arizona to put together a pretty good defensive unit. So yes, you're 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 spot on right there. There's cautious optimism when it comes to both the corners. Do you believe Arizona will be able to tackle any better than they have in the past? Yes, just because they can't get any worse. Um, the last, you know, the last couple years under uh, uh, Kevin Sumlin, it was a combination of terrible technique and guys that just really didn't care. And the first thing Don Brown uh, said when he came in is, if you don't run to the ball and you don't tackle, you won't play for me. And he means it. This is a unit or this is a team that, you know, there's not a ton of expectations. You know, when you go into the season with a two-and-a-half win, when you go into the season with a two-and-a-half win over-under, you're obviously not expected to do a ton. But the one thing about this team, though, and the one thing about uh, Brown is he knows that. And so this is kind of a bridge. You know, I don't want to say throwaway year. That's, I think that's a little too lazy. But so if these guys don't play, I mean, he'll literally throw in the second and third stringers and say, okay, you know what, they might not have the ability that the first-team guys do, but at least when they get their hands on the ball carrier, they're going to tackle them. So it's certainly a thing where, you know, BYU, I imagine, is going to continue to run the ball, and Arizona's going to have to be able to tackle because there's going to probably be a lot of second-level tackle opportunities for the linebackers. 
You already mentioned the one running back. I'm wondering where the Northwestern transfer Anderson fits in because he had success in the Big Ten. He's an interesting guy because he's Damian Anderson's son, so he's an NFL, you know, he's got NFL bloodlines. He's, it's weird, though, because he's gone back and forth in camp. Sometimes he was running with the backups. Sometimes he was running with the threes and the fours. He's, he, did have some, he did have some success, you're right, in North, at Northwestern, but he's also one of these guys, too, that when you look at him, he's not a really big dude. He doesn't really stand out in practice. I think he's probably going to get the second-team reps come, uh, come game time. And it'll be interesting to see what he can do with those because, you know, as you guys know, some guys, sometimes people are gamers. Sometimes people go out there and they just, you know, and they just need the lights to go on. And I think if you're Arizona, you're hoping that's the case because he ideally, I think, with his experience would be the perfect uh, complement to what Michael Wiley does at the running back position. So... There's a lot of transfers. Is the transfer portal the way to go to rebuild the University of Arizona football program? Or is this just kind of a one-off because they need guys? You know what's funny? Jet Fish mentioned that in his his, uh, coach's show. And I think it's a twofold. uh, uh, First of all, you needed guys. Um, But second of all, he made a point, though. He said, if you look at the transfers that we brought in, a lot of these guys are guys that have – three or four years to play. And so he brought up Isaiah Rutherford. He brought up a, uh, Jason Harris, a defensive end from Colorado, who was a four-star uh, pass rusher. Um, you look at guys like that, they have three to four years to play. Where And then, you know, you do look at it, it's got some guys like a, uh, a Trey Hayward, who was a transfer, you know, from uh, uh, Western Michigan, who was a small school All-American type, He's only got one year to play, but he's, he was good enough that you obviously bring in a guy like that. So I think you try to bring in guys that can play, but you also buoy them, hopefully, with guys that you know, can come in and hopefully be able to play and contribute immediately, even if it's just for one year. You know, Same thing with a guy like a Gunner Cruz. He comes in, he's still got four years to play at the quarterback position. So there's a lot of these guys that it's almost, with the, with the COVID exception, it's almost like you're bringing in guys that are almost high school kids if you think they're good enough. Where are the winds coming from? That's <sighs> a great question. So I, uh, they should, they're, they're, they're going to beat NAU, and if they don't beat NAU, then there's obviously even bigger problems than we think. I think they have a pretty good chance against San Diego State. Uh, that game's at home. I know San Diego State's won 10, 11 games. A lot, but at the same time, they're losing 70% of their people. Then I think in the Pac-12, they're going to have to sneak one, whether that's, Colorado, whether that's Colorado, you know, you've got a game, you've got a game against Cal, UCLA, possibly Washington State. They've got a few winnable games there. And so I think they go into the conference two and one, and I think they win one, possibly two conference games. So that's where, I know I didn't give you the exact three, but I think those were two come from, and I think that they've got, or they've certainly got some winnable games in the conference. Well, Mike, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking a little uh, Wildcat football, and BYU fans like the way you think. Cougars are going to cover, so BYU yeah, fans are on board time. with that. Anytime. You know, it's one of those things, even if, uh, even if Arizona loses, it's, it's, I think it's, we're just excited down here just to get a new era rocking and rolling.
Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson. Join us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. A reminder, tomorrow morning, 8.35, we're going to give away tickets to see Utah and Weber State. Make sure you're listening at 8.35 tomorrow morning for your chance to win. Your feedback coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for your feedback, PK. The yeah. listeners are combative this morning. On your behalf, they were really they're willing to link arms with you and charge into the fray. Greg just tweeted at us, that guy called your Sun Devils pedestrian, PK. Are you going to put up with that? They play to win the game. Well, he's channeling Herm when he was with the Jets, I think it was. Yes, he is. Uh, I mean, they were 2-2. Two and two. I don't know how much more pedestrian you can get than 500, right? That is the very definition of pedestrian. <laughs> so, if well, there wasn't enough games to really make a fair evaluation. Who's to say they wouldn't have gone nine and three? You know what I mean? You don't know, or for that matter, four and eight. I mean, you don't you don't know because it wasn't played. But you have to look at. I mean, I think Herm. They've been pedestrian. They're like seventeen and thirteen in his time, and and. And three of those wins have been, or two of those wins, uh, I think, have been over Big one Sky. teams. Yeah, so, I mean, come on. Let's call it what it is. I don't have any problem with that. I think I think it, what it accentuates is how bad the U of A was, not how good ASU was. It's <laughs> how comes, awful. Here comes a pedestrian team, and they ran you off the field seven Yeah, I, I think it's more of a reflection on how bad the U of A was, which is the point he was making. When he said pedestrian. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't come on with any illusions about how quick this turnaround would be or how good the Wildcats would be right out of the gate. Couple no, I think spots. if they got the three wins and they were competitive, that wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, and I think, I think underlying the competitive part, right? Are those yeah. conference games, they're, they're bound to lose a bunch of them, but are they going to lose by 7 or 10, or are they going to lose by 27 or 30? Yeah, you're looking for small steps here. You know, you got to give the guy a shot. Obviously, he's got to he's got to get some serious time there before he can before we can make any any pronouncements and any judgments, right? You would think so. Twelve game losing streak. The roster clearly not built for success. So, no. starting from starting from the ground floor. Yeah. Uh, Riley came on. Riley Jensen came on earlier this morning and said Weber State has five NFL players on the roster, and USU Aggie fan. Tweets back, congrats to Weber. That is great. Five NFL players on a Big Sky roster. That is a big number. Well, we'll see if that comes to pass. We will see if it comes to pass, and probably not all at once in one draft either. But No, no, no. He wasn't saying that. Nope. 73 military mama nine. I don't like BYU. <laughs> But I love their coach. <laughs> Happy for him and the team. Yeah, for sure. Kalani's got his fans, and they don't all wear blue. I mean, that's exactly where I stand. I don't like BYU, but I like their coach. <laughs> uh, Kalani's reputation is rising, and BYU players, administration, and fans are shouting, well done. Oh, the Rise and Shout spiel with the uh, yep. fight song? Yeah. Yep. I, I see what he done there. Stonegate for me. Very clever. Mountain Climb Row 1 says, there were some rough patches in year two and three, but I like the adaptations Kalani has made. Well-deserved, and I hope he keeps it up. 
I get it. He's got five years, the first two, 500 ball right on the button, and then the last three, uh, what are they, 25 and 13. So winning about two out of three. What do you mean the first The first year they went like nine and four? And the second they? year they went four and nine. So the first two years, 13 and 13, right at 500. Oh, I thought you meant... The next three years, 25 wins and 13 okay. losses. I thought you meant each individual season. Nope, not each individual season. Gotcha. And now it's year six, and we know the pipeline's a little slower for talent at BYU because so many guys are going on, on missions, so... Time to ramp it up and see what they've got and how good they can be with five Pac-12 teams on the schedule. Yep. Kenneth Wilkes, I'm a long-time Ute fan, but I love this. Well-deserved for Kalani. I think he's a class act. I agree. So we're getting a lot. We're getting a lot of that feedback here this morning. Yeah. Uh, Not a lot on the Ute schedule, maybe because that's uh, one more year where they're going to be heavy favorites. Uh, And then the intersectional stuff, the... The other Power Five leagues, that stuff starts next year with Florida coming on the schedule and Baylor the year after. So I just I don't think one Power Five, though, is that big of a deal. Well, especially with BYU going off. If, if Florida came on and BYU stayed on, that would be a little different. Yeah, I don't want to give them a ton of credit for just simply playing Florida. I'll give them some credit, but I think they can well, be tougher we'll look, than that. We'll look forward to the game, but then it'll be followed up with, well, I don't know what the date is on the Florida game, but they'll also have Southern Utah and San Diego State. So, Okay, some interesting news out of Colorado real quick here before we go. Brian Howell, who we've had on the show, says, Big news for Colorado's defensive lineman, Mustafa Johnson. He had declared for the NFL draft in January but was not selected. He's been granted an NCAA waiver to return to CU Boulder per a source. It's unclear who, uh, when Johnson, who was a second-team All-Pac-12 honoree in 2020, would be eligible to play. But he is coming back after having declared to go pro. Mm, that's great. I wonder what the Utes think of that, their rival getting a big-time player back. Yeah, I wonder when he'll be back this season since the Utes play them in the 12th and final regular season game. If he's coming back, he'll be back by then. Buffs have Texas A&M coming up uh, for their second game this year, so we'll see if they get him for him. He would help there, you would think. All right, DJ and PK, that's going to do it for us this morning. Although the College Football Roundtable is coming up later today, so more of us later today here on the Zone Sports Network. Make sure you're listening 4 to 6 o'clock, and uh, it'll be all college football and the whole staff, and it'll be crazy. Coming up next, Hans and Scotty right here on the Zone Sports Network.